Here it is, anchoring part eight. Who knew I was going to talk this much about anchoring? But uh, today, I thought would be a good time to talk about snow and ice anchors. So that's uh, winter is a very, I guess it's not always winter, but um, those environments are kind of interesting, uh, or those mediums are interesting mediums to work with because they are literally always very close to their melting point. So you could literally have your your anchoring substrate melt away or at least soften and then lose some of its structural integrity. So a little different than when we're dealing with rock anchors or even natural anchors, right? That's not usually an issue. So snow is an interesting medium in itself to climb because it's, I find it to be one of the easier mediums to climb, especially when you have good hard neve. It's just a wonderful um, medium to climb, but it's an, it's a medium that can become very exposed very quickly. So all of a sudden you're climbing it up and you turn around and you're like, wow, this is a lot steeper than I thought. Um, but it's also a medium that's really hard to protect because snow is inherently weak in terms of building anchors. Um, it depends a lot on the snow. There are some snow that's pretty strong, relatively speaking, and there's some snow that's, that has very little strength. So when we're building anchors in snow, you know, we're doing everything from just sitting down into a little hole and using our stance, right, our seated stance as part of the anchor. So we kind of have our feet braced and we're kind of in a little pocket um, to actually building um, anchors with snow. So whether that's with tools like flukes and pickets or it could be just with a, a rope around like a bollard. So the big thing to think about is that is that snow is never really that strong, even though... I have built snow anchors where you get four or five people on them and it takes a lot to pull them out. The nice thing about snow is that you oftentimes aren't taking really harsh falls on snow. Um, so that's kind of nice. It's not like you're taking wingers on a sport route all day. But some things to think about with snow anchors um, is, once again, you know, think about backing them up with stance. Oftentimes that's the case. So we have a, a piece of our body absorbing force to kind of, and the anchor is really just kind of making us a little heavier. So we oftentimes don't rely completely on the snow anchor. So when we're dealing with pickets and flukes, for example, their angle into the snow is really important, right? If your angle is too low or too steep, it's going to affect the performance of those tools. Um, also, when you're dealing with a fluke and a cable picket, that you want to make sure you trench out a slot for the cables because that way the cables need to be running um, well from the actual anchor to where you clip in. Otherwise, that can kind of compromise the um, integrity of that anchor. So that's actually really important. Um, and then there's, there's some great s studies done with pickets and how cable pickets, so mid-clip pickets, right, um, are vastly better than just a regular picket that doesn't have a cable attached to the midpoint. Um, so instead of clipping to the top of the picket, you know, clipping to that cable that's attached to the middle, like that way you're actually putting more force on the whole picket and then therefore on the snow itself um, versus at the top of the picket, which kind of levers the picket out. Um, so those mid-clip pickets, you know, cable pickets are really a lot better. So when you're playing with snow, you're trying to maximize all the angles to give you the strongest anchor as possible. It's been a long time, decades since I've actually placed a snow fluke um, in the snow. And, and it partly is just the nature of where I am in the snowpack I typically climb on. 
I think when you have the right place, you know, those, those can be a reasonable option. Um, but man, I haven't placed one in a long time. But once again, the angle that you put it in the snow relative to the snow surface and relative to the pole is really important. And then, and then making sure there's a slot for the cables also really important. So those two things are key. And then think about when we're using pickets, right? We can put them in vertically or we can put them in horizontally. It's more of a T anchor, a trough anchor. So some things that are really important when you're building like a, a T anchor, and a T anchor could be anything. It could be an ice axe. It could be um, your trekking poles. You know, you could put skis as T anchors. Um, pretty much you could, you could cut branches down and use those as T anchors. So anything you can go in can go into a T slot. But something that's really important with T slots is that when you dig the hole, that you're not digging perpendicular to the snow surface right you're actually digging down the fall line so the plumb line because what you don't want to have happen is as you pull onto the t anchor that you're actually kind of pulling it out of the slot and kind of levering it on the top of the slot you actually want to be pulling in such a way that when you're pulling on it that it's actually driving it deeper and deeper into the snow so the angle in which you dig that t slot's really important and then once again digging that trough out in the middle of the t um, so you can actually have your sling pulling down the slope versus out of the slope. And that's, that can be super important, especially as the snow gets softer and softer and softer. Um, the other thing that's important with like a T anchor, for example, is you need to maintain the snow structure in front of the anchor. So unless you can, unless the snow's wet enough to actually pack it into a snowball, packing the snow down in front of a, uh, an anchor, a snow anchor, doesn't actually uh, make it stronger, you know, because what happens is you're you're relying on the bonds of the snow crystals to each other to provide structural integrity. So, if the snow's not wet enough to just kind of you know compress together, then if it's cold snow, then what you're doing is you're just breaking all those bonds by stamping down on it and trying to pla- you know um, pack it in there. And like if you did that for long enough for hours, you know, that might be a different story, but that's not typically the time frame that we're working in. So when you're building a T anchor, you're putting a snow fluke in, try really hard to not disturb the snow in front of these anchors, right? So let that snow be as untouched as possible, which is kind of hard sometimes to build some of those anchors and do that um, as you need to kind of trench down in there. But that structural integrity is really what we're, we're working on. So don't disturb that unless the snow is really pretty wet and then you can pack it in. So um, the other type of anchor we can use in snow a lot is like a bollard, right? And we can use those in ice as well. So a bollard is just a big teardrop shape um, feature that you cut out of the snow or the ice, right? And those are also important to build, right? So the softer the snow, the bigger the bollard. And essentially what you're trying to do is, you know, have this big teardrop shape with the kind of the point of the teardrop facing downhill and have the bulb of the teardrop facing uphill that you can lay your rope around this this feature and you have to build that trough. And once again, you need to make sure you have the angle correct in the trough that you build around there. So especially on the very backhand side, what you're trying to do is build a nice deep trough with a lip so that when you put your rope around it, that it doesn't pop off the lip, right? But also the other important thing with things like bollards specifically is that you want to make sure that you're really low and load that anchor so you're pulling down into the snow, not pulling out away from the slope. Because what can happen, especially in soft snow, is that your rope can literally shear through the bollard, which is no bueno. And um, 
you can lose the whole anchor that way. So anytime you build an anchor with a bollard, whether you're going to repel off of it or you're going to blay off of it, you want to kind of keep yourself really low, get down below it, so that way you're kind of pulling into the snow. Ballers can be really strong. I mean, relatively speaking, you know, within the snow anchor genre, like I've definitely had bollards that were pretty small on really, really firm snow, you know, have a few people, four or five people pulling on them. They're not failing. Um, with just kind of those loads. So, you know, depending on the snow or the ice, we can make our bollards pretty small. We can make them pretty big. Now, one thing that's also critical with bollards is that as you're cutting it out, take the time to really make sure that the troughs are the appropriate depth. Make sure they're kind of in-cut underneath the bollard so you have like a little bit of a mushroom. But be careful, especially with, with small bollards, that you don't want to make them so in-cut they're going to pop the mushroom top off right? That's really key. So be very careful. You're going to use your ads and your pick to kind of like scrape snow away more than just chopping. Sometimes you do have to chop. That's going to be more important with ice, but with snow, you're just kind of in there and, and scraping things away, away from things. And then make sure with the bollard that as you get down towards the pointy side of the teardrop, the downhill side, downslope side, that you really make sure you make that deep enough so the rope is running from the back lip at the top of the bollard, right? And then down deeper and deeper and deeper into the snow as it and then as it comes out towards you that it's really pulling down. So sometimes I've seen people build the back lip where they hook the rope pretty deep and then they don't make the sides of the bollards deep enough. So the rope essentially kind of gets angled up over the sides, which which actually pulls the rope, you know, off the bollard. So you have to make sure it's really deep on the sides and as it comes down. So bollards are are nice and then then they're nice because you can pull your rope and you can leave the bollard up there. Um, but, you know, it's not an anchor that I use all that much anymore. Um, but, you know, it does really work well in certain conditions. So, you know, but it does take a little time, a little craftsmanship to build it well. So make sure that you take the time to do that well. Now, when we're dealing with snow anchors, once again, it's often the time, often the case that we may stack anchors together. So we may actually have two pickets, right, and then bring them together as an anchor system. And there's a couple ways to do that. I think I'm going to save that talk until um, a little bit later. But, you know, we can oftentimes stack systems and then actually, once again, make anchors as strong as possible. But, you know, when we're climbing snow, you know, how many pickets do you carry, you know? One, two, maybe three. That's a lot of, it's a lot of pickets, right? It's a lot of jangly bits on your, on your uh, harness, or if if you carry them on your harness, but are in your pack. So, um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, what are we really doing? So once again, when we're working with snow, we're oftentimes using an anchor and coupling that with our stance versus just blowing directly off the anchor. Now, I've definitely had situations with like beautiful hard neve where you're just driving a picket home. You know, it's just like hard hammer blows all the way in until it's right to the to the top and then once again clear that slot for the the cable and then, you know, you're blowing directly off it cuz it's just so good, but we don't always get the conditions for the snow. So, the softer the snow, the more we're going to have to use stance or maybe use another snow anchor in conjunction. 
um, with that anchor. But they can be good anchors, right? You know, they can be more than adequate for the loads that we're going to be putting on them in that environment or to repel off of. There's actually a little trick where you can actually have a, a removable picket so you can repel down and actually retrieve your picket, um, which is kind of an old school trick and kind of cool. It's a little bit jangly when it all comes down at you because you got all this, all these anchors and stuff kind of coming down as you're pulling the rope. But, you know, it's actually a pretty useful trick too. So, so snow anchors are something that we have to really understand what's happening, really understand the tool and how it's the most optimal way to place it because we don't have a lot of margin of error with snow anchors. How we can use stance or a second anchor to um, bolster that single point anchor, right? So we can use another anchor point or use our stance. Um, but And then we also have to understand the snow quality as well so we can kind of make things bigger or smaller. I mean, there's all kinds of other tricks with snow anchors. Like you could bury a backpack, you know, as a dead man, you know, stuff like that. Um, You can use your shovel. I mean, there's all kinds of different things we can bury in the snow. But that's essentially what we're doing is burying things in the snow um, for the most part and hoping they're going to hold there. So snow anchors are pretty interesting. But ice anchors, you know, some of us probably use those a lot more readily, you know, if you do a lot of ice guiding and ice climbing. And ice is also interesting because ice, once again, is always relatively close to its melting point. So, you know, depending on the time of day and how much sun ice is getting, it can go from being quite secure to literally gone within hours or or minutes sometimes, right? You know, you get a nice cold morning and a nice thin ice climb and then soon as the sun hits it 30 minutes later it's essentially you know gone so that's the big thing right there is that sun shade line so if you can put your ice anchors in the shade right whether you're leading or you're belaying no that's just going to make the ice that much colder so sometimes if you have like a little ice cave you know on on really steep ice you can get into a cave like the ice way deep inside there is going to be better oftentimes in the ice more towards the outside of this giant pillar because that's getting sun. So even on a relatively sunny, warm day, you may still find good quality cold ice deep inside a feature or in the shade line. So that's something to think about when you're building anchors. Um, The other thing we think about with ice anchors as well is, you know, back to that macro structure, like, you know, what's the actual type of ice you're climbing? Are you climbing just a slab of ice right are you climbing more vertical pillars of ice so is that ice actually bonded to the substrate right that gives it a lot of strength is that ice does it have enough mass so just structural integrity in the mass itself so maybe think about more like a slab of ice that no longer has bonding to the substrate or maybe vertical ice that's just more on a pillar or a column right so it's not actually touching where you're touching the substrate and frozen where you're building your anchor. So you need a certain amount of critical mass to um, have some structural integrity. Also, you know, once again, that temperature piece, so the warm side of things is bad, but also the really cold side of things is bad, right? As we get really cold, things get really brittle. So this is where we're seeing, you know, maybe some micro fractures, so kind of on the microstructure side of things, on a slab. So you're putting your ice screw in, and then you're seeing all these fracturing um, um, cracks go everywhere, right? And then if you put two ice screws in, all of a sudden, like those those cracks may meet, and that may make that whole section a little bit more insecure. When you're on more steep ice, you know it's like, are you going to crack the whole pillar right across? You know, we've all most of us who've ice climbed have had the situation where we swing our ice axe into a pillar, and all of a sudden there's a just giant crack that 
goes across that. And it sounds horrible and it makes you kind of nervous. So that's something to think about. Like what happens when you put that screw in? Are we seeing cracks forming, right? And are those cracks connecting to other cracks? So therefore compromising the whole feature that we're on. So sometimes just like in rock, we might have two different ice features really close to each other and we could place an ice screw in each feature, right? To uh, spread our load out to different um, points of the, the actual ice cliff, right? So sometimes when we're ice climbing, we need to dig a little bit, right? So if we've got soft alpine ice, like on a glacier, we may need to dig down through all that softer aerated ice and get to the better colder ice underneath that is less aerated, so more solid ice. So we may need to do that on really cold brittle ice, right? On a slab, we may have to dig through that surface layer and get all the dinner plates out of there. So maybe with your ice axe, your ads, and then get down to the kind of slightly warmer, more plastic ice underneath that's a little bit more um, or a little less prone to cracking. So sometimes we have to quest a little bit when we're ice climbing to find the best ice for our anchors. Now, you know, we know that ice screws in good ice can be incredibly strong, which is awesome. You know, but once again, that medium is so variable that it just takes more time, I think, for most people to really get a sense of reading the quality ice. So the sound of the ice when you hit it, the color of the ice, even the texture of the ice, you know, the feel of the ice, like all of those things are really important as we're reading ice. You know, and with ice screws, right, you know, the I think most of us are pretty aware of the actual angle to place our ice screws. So placing the ice screw either perpendicular ice or slightly below perpendicular. So you're actually kind of relying on the pullout strength of the teeth, of the threads rather, versus the bending strength of the tube. So that was um, kind of a big revelation several years ago when some of that studies came out because beforehand, you know, we all thought that, well, you want to place the ice screw perpendicular to ice or slightly um, above that. Um, so we kind of have more of like a, like a le- you know, levering effect on the ice screw. So we thought maybe the breaking strength of the tube was better than the pullout strength of the teeth. Now, think about how a lot of things happen in climbing, you know, dogma like oh you always place your ice cream like this now why do you always place your ice cream like that we just a thought that it would be better to place the ice screw you know with the tip of the ice cream going at a downward angle so therefore your hanger is on an upward angle but partly just because what's easier to place an ice screw when it's down at your hip right so when it's down at your hip you're kind of placing it more in that driving that tip of the ice cream more to downward angle so it's just kind of more of an ergonomics more than really thinking about is this really legitimate in terms of the strength of the screw. And then once we did some testing, we're like, oh, actually, the screw's a lot stronger if we place it in this orientation versus that orientation in good ice because of these these factors. So all of a sudden now we go from, this is better, mostly because it was ergonomically easier to place the ice screw in, but not really thinking about the the real mechanics of what's happening to like, oh, now we have some more data. Like that actually was not the right thought process. So here, now that we have data, it's like, oh, it actually makes sense to place the ice screw in this orientation. And now you're seeing like all the major ice screw brands out there, like any any reputable brand of ice screw has those nice high relief teeth, right? So we're really working on that pullout strength of that teeth. Now, it's also important with ice. So once again, with that sun shade line, like you can have warming on the head of your ice screw so what happens is that, that heat goes into the screw and then it starts to melt out the ice. So therefore, your pullout strength becomes a lot weaker, right? Because you're actually melting the whole of the ice. So a couple things you can do there. If you can't place your ice screw in a shade line, 
you know, you can, if you have some wet snow, pack the wet snow on top of the hanger so the hangers are underneath the snow. That kind of helps you out a little bit. Most hangers you see now are no longer just like super dark black, you know, that just absorbs the sunlight. They're usually more like a um, silver color, so they don't absorb um, the heat from the sun as readily, but they still will. So sometimes you have to really be cognizant of that as well. Now, there's some other some, some other tricks that actually link with some of the tricks you can do with snow anchors, with ice anchors, I'm going to save to later, that you can kind of make ice screws that may be more prone to kind of pressure melting and, and, and be affected by sun a little stronger for sure, but I'm going to get to that later. So ice screw placements are really key. So once again, Think about convexities versus concavities, right? So convexities are more prone to fracturing ice, where concavities are less prone to that. So we may choose to find a natural concavity with our ice screw. We may choose to create a concavity with our ice axe, right? So if you have a convexity and you just bash that ice away, all that surface ice, and dig down and you create a concavity, that's where we place our ice screw. You know, we want to have some distance between the ice screws when we place them so they're not right next to each other. So ideally, we would not place our ice screws in a horizontal orientation so they're right next to each other. That's okay sometimes, and sometimes we have to do that. But ideally, we place them vertically offset from each other, but also horizontally offset from each other. So we don't have one ice screw directly above the other one. We have one ice screw kind of offset to the side, say the higher ice screw, and then the lower ice screws offset to the other side. So that way, if you drew a line straight down from that ice screw down the fall line, you know, the upper ice screw, that, that line wouldn't in intersect with the lower ice screw, right? So you're actually kind of pulling on the whole section of ice below the top ice screw and the whole section of ice below the lower ice screw. So we actually have them offset, you know, and, you know, that offset, you know, vertically can be, you know, it can be 50 centimeters, it could be smaller if we're dealing with really good ice, like on a slab climb, like sometimes that can be smaller. But, you know, I usually think about an ice axe length apart, you know, somewhere in that range, you know, between those two screws oftentimes kind of give us our maximum distance apart. But once again, ice is so highly variable that that may not be enough distance. We may need to either add more screws, so maybe a third screw. Um, maybe we need to separate into different ice features if we can, right, which is kind of cool um, if necessary. So there are some general guidelines, but once again, those are just guidelines. Every situation is different, so you do have to kind of think about that a little bit. Um, and remember, there's other ice features that we can use too in terms of ice anchors. There's some natural features that we can get with ice. So we can have threads, right? We can sling pillars. You can even, with, with columns, right, you can even thread, you know, put rock gear, like you can put nuts or tricams in between ice features and, and just use them as natural constrictions. Um, you can, you know, tie off an ice axe in between stuff. So there's other tricks we can do with ice as well um, that uses some natural features instead of placing screws. So, but generally speaking, you know, we need to really assess the snow or the ice, right? We need to think about temperatures, Right? We need to think about, is this really cold snow? Is this really warm, wet snow? Is this a sunshade line for the ice screws? Is it super, super cold out so the ice is really brittle? Or is it really, really aerated alpine ice? We need to dig down in to get to some more plastic ice, some more um, solid, less aerated ice. Right? You know, are we going to spread anchors out more? Or can we keep them a little bit closer together? 
you know, are we going to kind of dig deep into this feature to get to the, the colder ice? So a lot of different things that we need to think about. Or like we might build an ice anchor in the shade line, but is it going to be in the sun in 10 minutes, right? So kind of our timing of things becomes really key. So kind of, that comes back to some efficiency, like the faster you can build your anchor, the better you are with your rope management, the quicker you can get off that anchor to the next anchor. I remember climbing this route. Uh, it's a kind of a classic um, route in New England called Mainline with my friend Peter. And it's a steep grade five plus line. And, you know, the day we climbed it, it gets a lot of sun. And the day we climbed it, it was just like climbing almost like vertical slush. And I just remember him leading up this really steep pitch and like each ice crew, he's like, he kind of was like just climbing as fast as he could. So the next ice crew he placed would be better than the one he just placed because it was just melting so quickly. Um, luckily the ice was soft enough. So climbing was not a big deal, but it was, it was just kind of crazy how, wet and and how quickly those ice screws were losing structural integrity um, just because of that sun and the water so you got to be really cognizant of those features when we're climbing in the frozen world so it's not always as frozen as we would like it to be Um, you know one thing you also got to be careful with um, ice screws is you know making sure that you clean the ice out right like so if you have that really wet ice but it's a really cold day you know and all of a sudden you get that screw frozen solid then you can't get that ice out then that ice screw becomes irrelevant until you can get all that ice out which sometimes means you know putting it in your jacket until it warms up enough to blow that tube out so you gotta make sure you clean those screws really well and then obviously keeping those teeth super sharp is really great because it just makes life a lot easier and then keeping those threads in good working order so if you're using a lot of aluminum screws for example you know not having them all bash up in your pack so now you're, you're kind of damaging the threads as well because once again that's where our holding power is for the most part um, with ice screws most of the time so being really careful of that equipment is key so you know, this is definitely a bigger topic. I find that it takes a lot of experience to build good anchors in snow and ice, um, you know, and kind of be able to read those conditions. But something to always think about, like, how do we maximize the strength of this medium and these type of anchors to give us the strongest anchor as possible for the given task? I forgot to mention... Um, V-threads and A-threads. I did mention threads, but I was thinking more of like a natural hole in the ice or a hole that you manufactured so you can thread around a pillar. But V-threads and A-threads are really good ways um, to build ice anchors at times. So the nice thing about V-threads and A-threads is that when you build them, they're not as prone to that melting effect that you get with the ice screw in the sun. So sometimes, for example, say I, I put a directional in um, on a climb and I really need that to be there, but it's in the sun. I'll oftentimes put a, a V-thread in or an A-thread in and then just sling that um, because it's not going to be prone to that melting effect where I've had actually ice screws that were used as directional get pulled out because of the timing of the sun, like the the just got too much warming, you know, and then those things just like pulled out with a little bit of weight. So I had that happen to me once, I should say. So I was like, ooh, that sun really was really doing a number on this ice screw. So um, having that V-thread or A-thread. Now, you know, it's worth really practicing those skills. Like I find V-threads to be easier than A-threads, you know, because a lot of times the 
the nature of the ice is more in a vertical orientation, so it's kind of easier to go on either side of this vertical feature um, and connect the dots, where A-threads I find are a little bit easier when the ice is a little bit more uniform. Um, but supposedly A-threads are a little stronger, I've heard, up to 15% stronger. You know, once again, when we compare strengths of ice and snow anchors, it's really tricky because it's so dependent on the medium and what the quality of the ice is. So when we do see some pull-out strengths of ice, it's oftentimes not done on um, water ice in terms of frozen in a vertical orientation. It's oftentimes done on a lake, you know, so it's kind of a different process. The ice tends to be a lot more thick and less aerated. So it's really hard to say this one's always stronger than that one, um, but the, the studies kind of show that it's maybe up to 15% stronger for A-threads versus V-threads. But I do think it's really important that you kind of practice those skills because remember when you're doing those threads those v threads and a threads it's important to try to get the actual points to line up at essentially the full depth of the ice screw so if you drive one ice screw in and then you take it out and then you go to make your other hole and it kind of tees into the first hole halfway through you know you're just getting less ice there um, less ice that you're going to be tying around so trying to really nail that depth, especially as you try to do V-threads with shorter screws, it's more important to really nail the depth. You know, also angle. So if you go in at a real um, steep angle, you kind of have like this kind of wider wedge, um, but shallower versus if you go in at a more narrow angle, you can have a, a smaller wedge, but deeper, you know. Um, I oftentimes try to go in at about you know, 90 degrees oftentimes in there, or 45 degrees, one of those two, you know, um, sometimes that's dictated, dictated by the ice, right? Sometimes you might need to clean the ice out um, to make a, a smooth, planar surface to do that V-thread. Um, and then, you know, you can add material like a sling in there if you want, you know, so once again, if you're leading or if you're building an anchor, um, you got to be careful that if you want that stuff back, once again, you have to be careful of building V-threads in wet ice on cold days, so you don't want that, that, that sling to necessarily freeze in there. Um, oftentimes when I'm repelling, I'm just actually feeding the thread with my rope. You know, and you can do little things like once you put the rope in, kind of sawing the rope back and forth a little bit so it kind of, it kind of rounds out the, the point of the, uh, of the wedge in the back of the V-thread so it's a little bit more rounded, so it's a little easier to pull your rope out of it. Um, and then whoever's the last person to repel, kind of make sure that you you know, saw the rope back and forth. So if it's starting to pressure, um, freeze into the ice that you can kind of like break that free. Um, so by the time you get down to the lower anchor, if you're repelling that you can still pull your rope out cause you don't want that to freeze into the rope. Little tricks with V threads, like taking all the little plastic end caps off your ropes so that you can actually hook it with a V threading tool and then pull it around those corners in the V threads. That's kind of nice. Cause I've had it times where I forgot to take the little end caps off and I essentially couldn't pull the rope through the V-thread. Um, I couldn't get it around the corner and my little hooking tool wouldn't allow me to hook the, um, the rope. So little tricks like that. But V-threads, once again, you know, that can be a way of uh, building a really strong anchor in the ice. So it could be a point of a multiple point anchor. So it could be an ice screw in a V-thread. So maybe you're trying to, you're running low on screws. Maybe it could be multiple V-thread anchors. So you have more than one V-thread that you can connect together. You know, they take a little time, but when you get good at them, they're, they're, they're relatively fast. You can even, you know, build an ice screw anchor. And then once again, to save some gear, you know, 
transition into a V-thread um, as part of your anchor to take one of your screws out. So you're initially kind of getting everybody moving because it's cold, right? So you build two-point ice anchor with two ice screws, and then as everybody's moving, you're building a V-thread um, above that and then therefore or below that, and then therefore you can transition one of your anchor points onto that V-thread um, to still maintain a two-point anchor, but then take one of your screws so you can save that for later. So there's a lot of little things you can do there, but those are definitely good skills to have. Um, and they do require a little practice to kind of nail it every time. So, and then having a V-threading tool. Like sometimes you can get away with having a stick and you can kind of pull things through with a stick. Um, but really having a V-threading tool is pretty nice, whether it's a hook type or it's a more like a, a J-snare type. Whatever one you really like is fine. But I find that I always leave a little V-threading tool in my backpack just there, which is my, my spare. And I might oftentimes have one that I really like on my harness. But I remember back in the day that V-threading tools were just, you just take coat hangers and you'd cut them up and then you would you know, bend them over and sharpen them up a little bit to make a little hook. And then you would kind of bend them in half so they were on your harness. Unfortunately, that when they got cold and you bend them, they, you'd like open them up to make them long and then they would snap <laughs> because the, the metal got fatigued and then it was really cold so the metal was brittle. But, you know, V-threaded tools are just nothing more than coat hangers. Um, but those are definitely good anchors to know how to do and how to do well. Um, they're definitely great for repelling and not having to leave any gear. Um, and they can be really strong, especially if you leave slings in them and then they freeze. So sometimes we'll get, you know, common repel anchors that are just V-threads with, with webbing and potentially wrap rings um, that are frozen in for the season, right? But once again, just like any other anchor, make sure you double check to make sure that V-thread still really viable. So if you come up to a, a kind of a some some seasonal permanent anchor for repelling that is not melted out, that it's still in good good um, structural integrity, and then therefore whether or not you're going to use it. So, but V-thread is definitely another good skill to add to your repertoire.